some of you may know a little bit of my story already. If you've had class with me, I'm sure that you do. Uh, but some of you may know that I grew up in the holiness movement. And some of you here will be able to nod your head and know exactly what that means. Other, others of you may say, what's the holiness movement? Um, but what I can tell you is that there were a lot of positive things about growing up in this tradition. I had a very loving, close-knit family who gave me a very firm, solid foundation in the faith. Our life was centered around the life of the church, around scripture, around trying to figure out what it means to please God how to be pure in an unholy world. That's not a bad way to start off life, is it? Um, however, the particular uh, segment of the holiness tradition that I grew up in focused very much, they put a very firm emphasis on um, conforming, conforming to certain standards, to certain rules. Um, there were, of course, those spiritual expectations or standards that in and of themselves were very good. Uh, but oftentimes the motivation for obedience to those spiritual standards was quite frankly fear. It was fear of displeasing a holy God who was very quick to judge and very quick to punish. But in all honesty, it was also fear of the church community and their quick judgment of you. So then there were also the ex what I would call the external standards. Those things that if you did or if you didn't do was your assurance that you were on the right path to holiness. So for example, if you had the right haircut, if you wore the right length of skirt, if you, uh, gentlemen, that would be, you know, the right length of sleeves for you, okay? Uh, you know, there were the things that if, you know, you didn't do worldly things. So if you, you know, didn't go to movies and didn't play cards or watch TV or uh, drink or dance or hang out with other people who did those things, um, then, then that meant that you were right with the Lord. And I remember I was about 16 years old when we had a new pastor come to the church that I attended. And he, I remember one particular line from all of the sermons that he preached. And he said that to truly please God and to be worthy of heaven, we needed to love God. And I will tell you that my immediate response was anger when I heard that statement because I thought, I am doing all of these things for God and he expects me to love him too? Yeah, I know. And you may laugh, but some of you in this chapel today know exactly what I'm talking about. You spend a lifetime doing things for God, and yet you don't feel anything in return. You feel like you can never really measure up. Some of you have been hurt. You've been hurt by people within the church itself. 
and the message of what it means to be holy, what it means to be pure, has been distorted into harsh demands that restrict not only your freedom, but your joy. A call to be holy, to be perfected in love, to be perfect as God is perfect, sounds, quite frankly, suffocating to you. However, if we truly understand the call to holiness, we will come to know that holiness is not simply comprised of rules and regulations. It is not about an attempt to push down everything that is natural about us, all of our natural inclinations and our natural desires. Rather, it is the Holy Spirit in us, producing love that overwhelms sin, joy that overcomes despair, and peace that overcomes all of our fears and anxieties. And that brings us to our text today. I've been spending a lot of time in the book of 1 John lately. I appreciate the apostle's work in this book because on the one hand, he can be incredibly pastoral. For example, in the verses leading up to our passage today, he calls his readers, my dear children. And he assures them of, their forg of the forgiveness of sins that is found in Jesus Christ, our advocate with the Father. So very pastoral. But on the other hand, John can be very direct. Uh, so like in our passage today, where he bluntly calls those who claim to know Christ but don't obey his word, liars. And lets them know in no uncertain terms that they are outside of God's truth. And I've noticed a certain tendency among those who have had experiences similar to mine. Or among those who have been hurt or misguided by a negative experience with someone who was claiming holiness. Claiming to be holy all the while hurting them. And that is that they often want to set aside any sort of requirements for holiness. They don't like to talk about obedience to the law of God. But if you notice in this passage, the apostle does not back away from that language. He says, now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. John Wesley also uses this language of love fulfilling the law or commandments when he describes open, or holiness in his opening of the plain account of Christian perfection. He, he describes it in this way, and bear with me, it's a bit of a long quote, but it, it just strikes it at exactly what we're getting at this morning. He said, love is the fulfilling of the law and the end of the commandment. It is not only the first and great command, but all the commandments in one. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, they are all comprised in this one word love. In this is perfection and glory and happiness. The royal law of heaven and earth is this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. 
the one perfect good shall be your one ultimate end. One thing shall you desire for its own sake, the fruition of him who is all in all. One happiness shall ye propose to your souls, even a union with him that is being that made them, the having fellowship with the Father and the Son, the being joined to the Lord in one spirit. One design ye are to pursue to the end of time, the enjoyment of God in time and in eternity. We rarely see our obedience to the commandments of God like this, do we? As we rarely see it as a way of perfecting our love for God. However, once again, this is precisely what the apostle claims when he says, whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk as he walked. Now, it's difficult to say in this passage, uh, whether it's God's love for us or our love for God that has reached perfection. I'll let the biblical scholars among us correct me on this point. Uh, but I, Howard Marshall, proposes that our obedience to God's word is a sign that God's love has done its complete work in us. Our love for God has made perfect. That is, it has reached its intended purpose when we keep his word. We may know all about Christ. We may have that knowledge. But until we allow Christ to so influence us that we imitate him, that we actually live as Jesus lived, the depth of our knowledge is lacking. Genuine holiness is beautiful. It's winsome. It's inviting. And it can be a wonderful reality in our lives. We do not have to make an empty claim of knowing Christ without actually bearing the fruit of holiness in our lives. Rather, our love for God can be made so perfect that we are free to live like Jesus did in our everyday life. But we are often skeptical of such great news, aren't we? Um, there is something in us when we encounter such claims that it makes us at times fearful. Fearful that a life lived in utter obedience will be restrictive, it will be harsh, and dare I say, boring, right? If we are really honest with ourselves, God's commands do not seem to bring the type of freedom that John speaks about in this passage today. Um, but this is often because we have a false sense of what makes us free, don't we? What are the false ways in our own lives that keep us from choosing the way of truth. Perhaps it is believing that if we wholeheartedly follow God, we will lose everything that is meaningful to us. Maybe we feel like we can't trust God to look out for our best interest. Or perhaps we're afraid that holy obedience will somehow deplete the quality of our life. It just won't be fun anymore, right? 
perhaps it's that one thing that we just can't seem to give up, that one sin that we just can't seem to conquer that keeps us from following God completely. I suspect that John's readers had similar types of questions and struggles, like, what is this new doctrine, John? Because before the question is even asked, John is responding. He says, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. John's response is reflective of Jesus' words, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Indeed, Jesus notes that unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we are not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. That's a sobering thought. If you think about the scribes and the Pharisees, they were obedient to every point of the law. In fact, they made it the focus of their entire lives to not only know the law, but to fulfill it and make sure everyone else was too, right? But they missed the entire point of it all. The requirements for those who follow Christ are so much higher than simply strict rote obedience. And this is where the new command comes in. John says, yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The new command is the law of love that Christ has modeled for us in perfection. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount gives an example of its newness when he begins to contrast the law that they all were so familiar with with this new law of love. He, for example, he says, you have heard it said you shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with your brother or sister, you have not fulfilled the law of love. You've heard it said, uh, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who lusts in their heart has committed adultery already. As followers of Christ, we are not simply called to obedience, but we are called to such purity of heart that our obedience and conformity to the Holy Spirit simply follows. It flows out of that heart of love. And it's also a new command, I think, because the power to be perfected in love has been given to all of us. We have a great gift. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, and the, it is the Holy Spirit who is able to change the very nature of our hearts. I invite you to view the call to holiness in a new way today. Wesley said that every command in Scripture is a covered promise. Well, what did he mean by this? It's that if God commands us to do something, like be holy, because I am holy, it means that we can also view this command as a promise because God will not ask us to do something that is impossible for us to do. If God tells us over and over again in scripture to be perfect, 
to not sin, um, to live as Christ lived, then we can really view these commands as repeated promises in that every situation God will give us the strength to accomplish all that he asks us to be. But perhaps you've tried everything that you know to do and you still feel like a failure. You still feel like you haven't measured up. The answer is not more of your own effort. Rather, I invite you to look at the words of the psalmist in chapter 119, verse 32. And this entire psalm is a beautiful tribute to the life-giving law of God. And in this verse, the psalmist writes, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. The word for heart in this psalm implies the very core of who we are as humans. Some of your translations, if you look this up later, will read, I run in the path of your commands, for you have enlarged my heart. That's because the word free here literally means to enlarge or to widen. So what does this mean? I think it means this, that when we choose to give all of ourselves over to the law of love, which Christ has so perfectly modeled for us, when we allow God's love to be made perfect in us, in our own heart and life, something amazing happens. God frees us from the narrowness and the bondage of our own hearts and literally enlarges the very core of who we are as people. It seems contrary to everything that we know as humans, but when we surrender our lives to God, we are actually more free to do that which satisfies our deepest desires. We were made for God. The very purpose of our existence is to know, to love, to enjoy, and to serve our great creator to all eternity. Holiness sets our hearts free to become all that we were meant to be in Christ. So I'd like to close with a question for you. It's a question that John Wesley asked those who were skeptical, not only of his his entire doctrine of holiness, but also who were skeptical that holiness brings this kind of joy, this kind of peace, this kind of freedom. He asked this very pointed question. Is it misery to love God? To give him all my heart, who alone is worthy of it. Nay, it is the truest happiness, indeed the only happiness, which is to be found under the sun. I invite you this morning to examine your heart in life. Have you truly been set free? Has your heart truly been set free? Does your relationship with God bring happiness? And by happiness, I don't mean some kind of fleeting emotion or experience, but I mean, do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have contentment in knowing that it is well with your soul? Is there anything that is holding you back from being like the psalmist and being able to joyfully run in the paths of God's command? 
As we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, I invite you to use this as an opportunity to lay aside anything that is hindering your joyful communion with God.